This is Multinew Media, episode 11, for the week of Monday, June 1st, 2015. Today's episode features your host, Chase Raz, and co-host, Chris Ayers, soapboxing on the topic of civil, social, and technological infrastructure. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Multi-New Media, and I am your host, Chase Raz, and it feels so good to be back here for episode 11. Now, as you may or may not know, we here at Multi-New Media recorded a 10-episode pilot season. We did this just so we can kind of get a feel of the type of quality we could produce, what type of topics did we come up with uh, for the shows. And after we completed these 10 episodes, we took a hiatus over a couple of months to review, to think about everything, to ensure that we could give a good commitment to quality, and to really just get our bearings about ourselves moving forward. I think we have an amazing sounding show, and I think, quite frankly, our, our quality is is right up there where, where it needs to be, but you know, we just want to be that constant perfectionist for you and, and move closer and closer and closer to the type of show that you want to listen to every single week. All 10 of these pilot episodes I'm referencing will be available and released to you. In fact, if you're hearing this right now, chances are you already have access to them. Just go through the backlog and they should be there available for you. Or just check out multinewmedia.com, our website, and uh, take a look at all of our different audio show postings. You can get access to so many things at multinewmedia.com, not just our audio show, but also frequent blog and news posts, as well as ways to help us out, help us keep growing, and ways to get in touch with us. If you ever do have questions or want to get in touch with us, just send us an email, feedback at multinewmedia.com. But for now, I'm going to go grab Chris Ayers, and he and I are going to be back in just a moment after this break to talk about American infrastructure. And when we talk about infrastructure, we don't just mean technological infrastructure. We're going to be soapboxing a little bit and talking about roadways and bridges and education infrastructure, all of these different things that come together in the pursuit of technology, business, media, new media, and help us succeed as businesses, as people, as a society, and as a culture. So we're going to be having that conversation about infrastructure in just a moment. It's going to be absolutely wonderful. So stick around. I'll be back with Chris Ayers right after this short break. everybody i'm back with chris Ayers. uh chris reintroduce yourself to the folks out there we did a 10 episode pilot series but we're back for real now and uh reintroduce yourself if you don't mind hi i'm chris Ayers. i'm a software developer uh, engineer consultant type person and uh big gamer so and a lot of varied interests have an opinion on a lot of things and you'll probably have to work hard to find one i don't have an opinion about 
I just like that you said consulting type person. I'm going to steal that from now on. <laughs> I'm a consulting type person. Uh, so, well, I just became a consultant. I, I have not been at a consulting firm before, but now I'm at one. Oh, well, that's good. You can, you can, you know, pretend to give us a lot of trade secrets and never really give them to us. Um, our topic today, though, is, is unique, and you and I had a little bit of a back and forth about this topic and whether it's truly related, but um, I think I think we're on board that it's related, right? We're talking about infrastructure today. Well, um, you got to get places, and you, you want to arrive there alive, and you want businesses to be able to function, and you want to be able to get your products that you want. So infrastructure pretty much affects everyone. And so just so we're clear, uh, so everyone knows, yeah, we're talking about that type of infrastructure, not IT infrastructure, although it may factor in a little bit later. I don't know. I'm not planning on it. But we're really talking about roads and bridges and rail and all of those types of things. And, uh, you know, I imagine we'll be somewhat U.S. specific because that's where we're at. But um um, infrastructure seems to be in a sad state right now. Um, uh, Chris, did you find anything in your research that um, makes you want to, you know, say I'm wrong on that, or or did you kind of find the same stuff? Well, I mean, a couple of years ago, we had the reports coming out talking about all the bridges that were dangerously out of repair. Possibly, we had. Um, that rail crash that just happened a couple weeks ago. Which, which, by uh, the way, the um, uh, I, you know, I don't know who came out. I don't know if it was federal authorities or uh, someone else, but someone just issued a report saying that they couldn't find infrastructure issues related to that crash. But come on. Well, they said the train was going really fast when it approached a curve, but they've had on discussions for years on having automated systems to control that so that it wouldn't be possible to happen. So if the upgrades and the maintenance stuff had gone through, the crash probably wouldn't have happened. Right. But, um, and then, you know, me as a gamer, I was waiting on some new products coming out a couple of weeks ago and well, it was more of a, uh, a, a, um, a picket and a boycott or, um, a, a strike out in California, but the strike happened and they weren't offloading the ships. And so I couldn't get some of the stuff I wanted to get on release day because it was sitting in containers. Yeah, that you know, that's been a problem for the past couple of years. The uh, ports out in California, lots yeah. of labor disputes. Um, that factors into our infrastructure discussion as well, labor. Uh, I think one of the points that I want to make in here is that, I, you know, I don't think that the world is as focused as it should be, or at least the United States is not focused like it should be on infrastructure. I really do think that with, uh, what, seven, seven and a half billion people on this planet, that this truly should be one of our top concerns, but, uh, you know, I could give 20 reasons why we don't do this right now. Half of them would make me sound like a very negative person, but most of those would be true as well. We simply uh, are too focused on the, the bottom line, and I think one of the questions I want to ask today is can we focus on the bottom line and infrastructure simultaneously, or is what we've been taught that, oh, all of this stuff costs money? And I think... It- we have a different mentality than a lot of other countries and it does affect that. I mean, think about how much other countries use public transportation and rail to move things around and we use individual vehicles and trucks on the same roads which cause congestion. Yeah, that's question number one. Yeah. Why the hell are passenger vehicles and tractor-trailer trucks with cargo 
why are they on the same roads? I don't. I don't know. And does that? I mean, does it? When I ask that question, here's what I want to ask of you. When I ask that question, do you kind of look at me uh, and say, "Why shouldn't they be?" Or do you hear me ask that question and think, you know, that kind of makes sense. They shouldn't be. Well, I don't think they should be. I mean, that's like um, if you go and look at – have you ever been skiing? I have not, thankfully. Okay. So <laughs> I, I, I love to ski, and I also learn how to snowboard. Well, we're going to have um, to go sometime then. So when they're, they're, they both are on the same slope, sometimes the skiers complain that the snowboarders compact the snow so much it causes ice. Oh. You know, be, be, because of – the way you know the snowboards versus skis so they they sometimes want special you know trick parks or special trails just for the snowboarders so that you know the powder and all that's not messed up for the skiers think about it with the same with cars and trucks a little bit how many times have you gotten on an interstate and see trucks only on this lane or how many th- times have you seen in the news a semi-truck running into a bridge right because of clearance issues uh, very frequently, uh, believe it or not, and for anyone out there who's going, well, come on, it's not that often. Uh, Chris, you and I are in Florida, so we see that stuff very frequently. Yeah, I, I mean, sure, you see it with moving vans and stuff too, but just like tractor trailers, and it, it's, I think it's more common than people think. And I mean, they've even kind of made fun of it in some movies quite a few times, probably because it happens more often than people think. So this isn't some secret out there. We know we have uh, we have bad infrastructure. We know that, right? I'm pretty sure we know that. Okay. Um, I mean, and going back to the IT infrastructure, we're also starting to lag behind in bandwidth, which kind of goes with this. And if you look at uh, the blackout we had, what, five years ago, where pretty much all of New York and oh, New, yeah, the England, New England brownouts, that was caused yeah. by some trees brushing up against a power line in Ohio and it tripped. <laughs> I did not like, know that. Yes. It, it was some trees rubbing up against power lines in like Ohio and it caused an outage that spewed a ton of extra capacity, you know, power um, usage to the next segment, which you know, it just kept popping them down the line. It's stuff like that that makes me say really horrible things that get me in trouble, such as, do you ever walk through the day and feel like you're the only intelligent person that you've bumped into that day? Um, <laughs> I'm going to be nice. Well, you're going to pass on that one because let me sound like the jerk, but every single person listening is going, you know what? I know exactly what you're talking about. I feel that way all the time. Uh, whether it's little things like why are power lines above ground in a state like Florida where we have lightning strikes um, all the way to why are semi-trucks on the same road as passenger vehicles? Um, some of these things, when you really think it through, it, they just don't make sense. Uh, you had brought up a site with me before we started recording, and uh, I'm going to lead you to it, but I, I don't want to steal your thunder. You had led me to a site called infrastructurereportcard.org, and uh, I don't know much about them except for the fact that I see a big American Society of Civil Engineers logo on the upper right-hand side of their page. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming they're trustworthy without doing much uh, research into them. I, I don't think, you know... The American Society of Civil Engineers has much liberal or conservative bias. They're probably uh, all about urban planning and have that bias, um, which is the one we want, right? So walk me through this site here a little bit. You found it looks like it's a report card from, what, two years ago, the 2013 report card? 
Yeah. Um, the the one I actually see is 2012. Oh, 2012. Okay. Are you... I'm on, so. there's a couple of tabs at the top for, you know, for pe- people who are listening, when we take a look at the infrastructure report card.org, uh, you know, not sponsoring them. And it's just something we found and they have an overview and economic impact. And I'm looking at the national grades oh. where they say I- that America has a D plus in uh, our, that's our quote unquote GPA for our infrastructure, which is pretty crappy if you ask me. Yeah. Um, that I think is the overall one when I looked at the Florida specific report card, it, it was the GPA from 2012. Okay. So I, I, I doubt it went up that much. And I'm taking a look at California now. <laughs> California, yeah, it's 2012 as well. They have a C in California for 2012. Um, Florida has a C-. Oh, wow. So we in Florida are doing worse than a state that was bankrupt at that time and still partially is, if I understand correctly. So th- they kind of give an overall grade and then they give individual grades for like aviation because you know we have a couple of international airports here one like miami and orlando and tampa we have you know major in jacksonville and you know major airports that have people coming in and out and florida got a b minus on that no not surprisingly the bridges got a b um but a little bit below that they have some facts there we have 12,070 bridges uh, 259 of those are structurally deficient. Yeah, that the, the deficiency part there scares me, but the fact that it's under 300 with over 12,000 bridges, I think yeah. we're doing a lot better than other states. And for folks yeah. who have been to Florida, we don't have rickety bridges here like we do in other states. It's not like, you know, when you drive in, um, in Memphis or in Louisville, not that their infrastructure is bad, but you're on those very old metal bridges and you don't necessarily know the level of rust or the level of give over over a period of time. When you're in Florida, these are solid, reinforced, concrete bridges. So I think we do fairly well there. But as a country, it looks like um, – let me pull up the national grade. In, well, the, in the country, we have a C plus. Well, we have – also, we get hit by hurricanes a lot. Right. People, you know, If you're in Florida, you know that the possibility of a hurricane exists. And so they have higher – um, building standards, I think, than some other places along like the eastern side of the country. So they're probably built to withstand a little bit more. Um, that that's definitely a concern, especially if you have those semi trucks hitting bridges or um, issues with bridges that are old and need to be replaced. Um, I found some articles about railroads, and you know, there's that northeast corridor with the high, the rail that goes between D.C. and New York. Mm-hmm. And there's one bridge that's 104 years old that 450 trains go over every year or every day. 450 trains. Oh, this is the – yeah, you sent me this article. Um, this was right. a, a New York Times article from uh, September 2014 that's talking about a 104-year-old uh, portal bridge. Um, what was the, the – it's almost a billion dollars worth of repairs that it needs, right? $900 million. Right. So this bridge was built in 1910 and <laughs> it, it, it swings out. So, you know, they stop the trains and the bridge swings open and boats go under and then it swings back. Well, occasionally um, it doesn't lock back into place. That is a major problem. So it causes delays. And I think in like the 90s, I, I found some mention in the 90s of the fact that it didn't closed back into place and um it 
the rail was five inches higher than it was supposed to be and it acted like a ramp and it shot a train off the bridge into the riverbank below. Uh, what is the solution to that? One computer and a couple of sensors? I don't know, but that happened in 96. Uh, <laughs> the, br- the bridge is still in operation. The New York Times article that you sent me earlier and anybody could just Google or Bing um, says 250 delays um, since the start, uh, but between the period of... Um, 2013 to 2014. Yeah. So 250 so bridges, delays. Bridges are an issue, especially if we have, you know, this corridor where people take the train every day, you know, maybe going from D.C. to New York or anywhere along that way, that hampers business. What about, yeah. what about high-speed rail in this country? Well, I was completely against the um, adding a high-speed rail option to the Florida Constitution. Well, okay. So if but somebody's not issue. if somebody's not from Florida, they may not care about this. But but I want to make this clear. I think every, there's a reason that we as Floridians added that to our constitution. It's because we had um, enacted a ballot measure previously, and our elected officials said, "Hey, Florida, thanks for doing that, but we're not going to give you the high speed rail that you voted in." So we added it to the constitution. Yeah. We did ultimately remove it from the constitution and defeat it. And the reason was common sense finally kicked in, right? People don't associate Florida with common sense, but common sense did kick in. And there was this big campaign that says, yeah, but did it really belong in the constitution of your state? And the answer is is certainly no, but, But, um, but so we, we, we have a number of interstates that are trying to connect places like, you know, from Tampa to Orlando to like, um, Titusville, you know, that well, mainly that, in Florida, you have Tampa, Orlando, Miami, Jacksonville, and Tallahassee yeah. that'd be connected by rail eventually, where roadways currently serve as the only means. Correct. And, you know, I think that there are some people who might do that. You know, a lot of people do just fly right into Orlando or fly right into wherever they need to go and, and don't take trains. But, but you know, let's say somebody's going to. a lot of our mail. If somebody's going to visit us, they're likely to visit us to come to the beach to go maybe down to the Keys or to go to Disney World, that yep. type of thing, right? So let, let's say you're going to SeaWorld or Disney World or um, you're going to any of the parks in Orlando, Universal. If you fly into the Orlando airport, you're a good 15 miles away, and some of the parks run shuttle buses back and forth on toll roads. But, I mean, when you get off of a plane and you're ready for a Universal or a Disney vacation, do you really want to take a 15, 20-mile bus ride? From the airport to your hotel room to check in, that, or would you rather be able to just hop on a high-speed rail? Well, I think the other thing might be if you want to do multi-stops within the state. You want to go down to Miami, you don't want to have to fly again. So if if you could take a train, but... Right, right. Yeah, the people do that. Listen, I'm sure, it, you know, it happens everywhere. It, it ha- I know it happens a lot out in California. I know it happens a lot up in New England. You fly from city to city, and it's it's a very large waste. And that goes back to the bottom line of, can we be, can we talk about saying, well, let's build high speed rail, which I, I assume you're for high speed rail now, right? Just not in a yeah, constitution I'm, I'm of a state. Fine with high speed rail. So can um, we build this stuff? Can we look at, you know, Elon Musk's hyperloop, which they're about to prototype out in California over the next couple of years. So I hear, can we build this stuff and have it be fiscally, um, advantageous or is it just a big drain on our economy like so many people try to make us believe I think it's the mentality I don't think Americans want to give up their cars I do 
Some of them do. <laughs> I, I want to give that do. damn thing up so fast. I mean, I well, love it. I really do. I, I would keep one, but I don't want to rely on it every day like I I mean, I have we to. even... I mean, there's this whole thing about, oh, you're 16, you get your first car and all this. It, there's this mentality that so many people have yeah. that without your car, you have no freedom. You know. But, I mean, I'll tell you a story about this. The reason I say I'm so willing, I, I, would I really give up my car? No. But here's why I'm interested. Uh, so I was in Orlando the other day, and I had to stop at three stores that were directly in line. Well, you know, one store here, the next store is the next store I'm going to, and the same with the thir- third store in the in the row. There was no pedestrian walkway or sidewalk between them. I had to pull into one off of a highway, do whatever I was doing there, get back into my car, start it up, drive out onto the main highway, pull back into the second one. And I mean, these buildings are next door to each other, and it took me over an hour to make three quick runs into three unique stores that are next door neighbors to each other. That is pretty sickening when you think about it. Eh, park in the middle one and walk through the bushes. That's what I love. Retention ponds and, uh, and, uh, oh, yeah. all of that were separating me. I mean, that was not going to happen. And, uh, that urban sprawl, uh, I mean, is that really what the problem here is in the U S is it urban sprawl? Florida has different, well, I mean, we'll, we'll get to some of the transit stuff. But, yeah, we do have a lot of urban sprawl. I mean, Florida has some of the largest cities by area in the country just because we're so spread out. 18 million people in, right. in our uh, state. We've, we, uh, we've got a lot of people spread out a lot of places. Well, there's some more areas on the report card like uh, coastal areas. Now, this one's actually important to us because we have so much coastline. But think back to New Orleans with Katrina, with the levees and stuff. Proper maintenance of those type of things are very important. Um, I know that we have a lot of flooding issues um, along a lot of our coastways. And, you know, we have a lot of pollution along some of our coastways. And some some of those things do relate to infrastructure. It is surprising. What uh, I, I just went back to Florida. I was looking at California's numbers for a while. And uh, Florida, it looks like we're a D minus in coastal areas. Because we have erosion. There, there's lots of erosion. Um, some of it's sinkholes. Some of it's like along the beaches. Um, like I know in Pensacola, we constantly had to, they, they would put sea oats out because mm-hmm. when storms came in, it would wash the beaches back into the ocean. But here's So if they put down sand, there was nothing to hold it there, so they had to plant like sea oats and stuff to have some root structure to hold down the beaches. So this and infrastructure the- report card, what they say directly after talking about what you're saying about the erosion is they're giving a reason for it. The poor inlet management practices in Florida and depleted sources of offshore sand sources limit the, the uh, so on and so forth, right? So it's yeah. poor inlet management practices that that we have, and uh, we're depleting our offshore sand resources because yeah. we dredge it up and put it on the beaches. And then it gets washed out. Washed then, right back out. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. guess there's not much you're going to do about that except for pull sand from somewhere else, but it does concern me about the poor inland or excuse me, inlet management. Those are your waterways. Um, if, not, if somebody's not a coastal person, these are the little channels and waterways that take you from out in a, a body of ocean, like a uh, or a body of water, like an ocean or a uh, gulf, and bring you to past the barrier islands into uh, some of the waterways that go inside the brackish water and the salt water that's past your initial barrier islands and um, stuff like that. 
And uh, if you're mismanaging those, you can not only mess up your transportation system and mess up your ecology, but you can destroy your your access to seafood. You can destroy the local wildlife. Um, it's not a pretty thing if you mismanage those resources. That's where uh, your source of salt water comes from for your inland brackish uh, spawning pools. And if you're like dredging in, in a bay or near an inlet and you make it much deeper, you know, that can actually cause bigger waves because, you know, it's going to suddenly have a change in depth and make bigger waves and then that can lead to more erosion. So those are all issues that those people are concerned with. Right. So, we, I mean, you kind of have a counterbalance there. We need a port somewhere, so we're going to yep. have to dredge it out. But we want to make sure that it's somewhere that is going to have minimal impact uh, to yep. the environment and to any uh, downtown or, or urban area we have. Yeah. Hmm. Well, um, and, and, you know, our current government doesn't really help much. They don't believe in uh, climate change, which if you're on the coast, you probably should. <laughs> uh, if you're human and alive, you probably should. Yeah, you know, um, I I used to be very apologetic for that. Well, if you don't believe this, that, and the other, we know what carbon dioxide does. You'll know it eventually happen, whether you think it is or isn't. I've just given up on that. You know, damn it, climate change is happening, global warming is happening. We caused it. If you can't, if you yeah. can't look at data and understand it to that level, I don't need to continue the conversation with somebody about it. I mean, is is that wrong on me, or can we all take that approach now? No, I think that's a fine approach. Okay. Same thing with vaccines. <laughs> you know what? Uh, different topic, but absolutely true. Absolutely true. Uh, next, well, actually, it ties into the next thing: education. They actually have education listed, and of course, Florida has D plus. You know, we've had issues with FCATs and class size, and um, you know, they started moving towards. Uh, we've we've had a number of issues with salaries of teachers and teacher retention. Uh, it, it's, I, I worked for a school district for a short time and it's, it, there's been issues, you know, I, they're, they're cutting music programs and art programs. I think they're being very clear here though. Um, so for instance, still looking at Florida and you can look at any state. When I look under schools, they're giving for Florida this 2012 report card, $8.9 billion in estimated school infrastructure funding needs. I actually don't think they're talking about education itself as m more so the physical schools. You yeah, know, there's some really old schools. And, and yeah, and, uh, I, I went to school um, in, in some of these. I remember my middle school. Um, equivalent to a junior high, other places in the country, I guess. But middle school for me was um, a very old mildewy brick building, and it's kind of like, how is this even safe? I mean, don't I, forget the trailers, they, uh, uh, portables they, and trailers. Yeah. Yep. I. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I mean. <sighs> Okay, so I don't mean to be on a soapbox here, but when are we going to get the idea that everything that we have built, and forget us as a man, everything that was built as a nation, the United States, whether you take our good, which was, uh, you know, working with allies in, in World War One and World War Two to uh, defeat uh, ideologies that weren't necessarily all that great for the world, unless you were them, uh, or whether you want to take our bad and our own genocide that we committed with the natives of this country, when are we going to give up this stupid idea that infrastructure is an expense and treat it like the investment that it is? I'm being very soapboxy, but I mean, it, it's something that somebody is going to have to say at some point. Well, I mean, the 
Coliseum's falling apart. The pyramids are falling apart. Uh, you know, the stuff we build is going to need to be maintained and repaired and replaced. They're they're doing that to the Washington Monument. You know, there are things that might stand the test of time strictly because they're constantly being maintained and updated. They don't do that to a lot of our infrastructure. <laughs> it, it, you know, they just kind of limp along and then they bulldoze it down and build a new one. So, yeah. Yeah, um, I've I've been a little bit concerned about that. Uh, there's been a lot of road work here, and I think everybody can relate to that. There's there's road work mainly in what the the summer for most people, especially the farther north you go. Uh, we've been exhibiting that here in the the beyond. We're beyond the south. We're not part of the south. We're in Florida. Um, we've been experiencing that here in a lot of road work and a lot of construction. But the big issue is there's nothing actually happening. It's just resurfacing. And typically the surface that goes on is not to the quality of the original surface that existed before. And this is the overall point about infrastructure. We're doing bare bones maintenance just to keep a road functioning, not even as well as it was functioning in the past, just to keep it operable. That is not good. I mean, think what that does to insurance premiums for cars. Think think what that does to health cost, the number of people who are going to be in traffic accidents, who are going to be uh, bicyclists or pedestrians and hit because of bad roadways. You know, we have complete street programs uh, all across this nation, including a national program, the uh, National Complete Streets Coalition, which says, look, we need to take federal and state funded roads and make sure that there are bicycle lanes and that there are pedestrian walkways and that there are there's lighting where necessary. Um well, just look at the interstates, you know, the, I mean, it's the Eisenhower interstate system, but that was done in the 50s and 60s. And that's where I see the most downgrading happening of the of the paving surface quality. Right. So you still have roads that were paved in the 50s and 60s. And yeah, what they'll do is they'll just put down some asphalt and bulldoze, it, you know, roll it out and, and they won't even do a lot of in-depth stuff. Now occasionally you'll see whole new roads or whole new lanes or whole new merge points where it's a whole new road, you know, basing material and all the different layers and it's a nice drive. And then you get back on something old and it's like, da dunk, da dunk, da dunk, da dunk, you know, as you hit those seams. Yeah. And I think it's so easy to, you know, it's so easy to be in certain places and feel like this is not an issue. And I understand that because last year I was out in Oklahoma and Kansas and very, what we would call very red states, right? But this isn't a red-blue state issue. This isn't a spending or, or conservancy issue. Uh, when you go out somewhere like Kansas where I was, very rural Kansas, the infrastructure seems amazing. You have these four-lane highways. They're actual highways with overpasses and on-ramps. And it's really just to get you from point A to point B. There's nothing there. There's nothing causing congestion. There's no roadblocks except for, you know, an occasional pothole. Uh, and even out there, it wasn't that that common. So very low uh, amounts of expenditure are getting this great return. But if you take a look at New York or anywhere in the New England area, California, uh, the populated parts of Texas, Florida, um, Illinois with Chicago, anywhere that people are and have been for a while, There is a massive amount of infrastructure that goes in getting a person from point A to point B, especially when you increase the population density. And when that stuff gets old, 
Uh, you know, out in out in Oklahoma or Kansas, Nebraska, it's as easy as saying, well, let's rip this road up and put a new surface down. But here in Florida, it may be we need to divert a canal, create two new roadways, uh, divert a train, and put in some new form altogether. That's expensive. And how do we win that conversation of getting people to understand that expense pays off in profits? Well, um yeah, and I think we'll come back to that because there are some in-depth stuff that goes along with that. Um, we have at Florida, you know, going back to the report card, Florida has a D in energy, and you know, I think this is a story of, in a lot of places around the country. You know, we have these older power plants that you know were built in the '70s or '80s or '90s. Um, they're still in operation and are using less efficient means than are available today, but the costs might be too high to replace it is what you know their concern is or we we don't um, produce clean energy that's a big one when we go out west a little bit you see more wind farms you see a couple of solar farms coming here and there especially in the southern united states whether east or west doesn't matter but oil coal Nothing against these. Listen, I don't want these people to go belly up. Like, I don't want them to have economic crisis. Like we have close access to natural gas. I mean, that's but it's that's still, Louisiana, right? Right. It's uh, still fairly dirty as well. I mean, th- yeah. that's the concern about hydrogen. When we take a look at going electric on most things, which man, there's been a big PR scheme against electric. Apparently, I mean, electric is clean and more powerful than any gasoline you could ever come up with. Uh, my, the uh, the office building I work at has two electric vehicle charging stations. And and, and and that's great, but we have this conception. People go, oh, an electric vehicle, it can't outrun my Hemi. Well, uh, do you know anything about electricity? It can smoke that thing. There is no way that gasoline can ever do what an electric motor can do. Well, it, it's instant torque. Exactly. So when, when we take a look... I mean, take a look at what NASA does, right? If they want to move a rocket out from a building to a launch pad, they use diesel uh, generators, but then use it to fuel electric power banks. So they're just pulling the electricity out of it. No mechanical process. They're just creating electricity. And then they use electric motors because there is nothing else as powerful that can get some of the weight of these rockets moved over the soft rock surfaces. You could have all the diesel engines in the world you want. It's not going to move that rocket. It has to be converted to electricity first. Yeah. Um, why, why don't my we other see more of this? For Florida is, you know, we have a couple of nuclear power plants here, which I'm actually completely okay with nuclear power. Yeah, I think we have three nuclear power plants, I think. Um, I saw a Wikipedia page that listed five. Five. That's positive. It's, it's a fairly yeah. low number. I, I have no issues with it as long as it's properly maintained and you know operated safely and i know that you know there's been some talk about researching thorium reactors which have like these sealed capsules and as soon as you know they do the the thorium um reactions and stuff and it's used up they can just replace the cartridge because it's all self-contained that's not bad what what do you think the future of electricity is for the united states I, I I hope it's increasing. I mean, definitely solar is an issue. I, I know that there's more adoption out west. It seems like there are some subsidies, I think, nationwide for solar. But um, I think flat out solar, wind, tidal, and uh, hydrogen from natural gas. 
I, that's that's where I'm. If I were a betting man, that's where I'd place my chips. And again, nothing against Colin Oil. I don't want those people to be out well, of business. They, they just had some breakthroughs on uh, like black solar cells that had like a ninety percent increase in efficiency. I mean, isn't that stuff beautiful? The amount. Every, by the way, let's go back to a little education lesson for everyone who needs this in their arsenal to talk to other people about infrastructure or who may not know for themselves. Every bit of power we get, every method I talked about, uh, or you could ever come up with, they're all solar powered at the end of the day. Well, yeah. Tide, wind, all uh, oil, all of it comes back to solar energy. If we can tap the solar energy itself, we get it in its most pure and raw form, and that is our highest energy potential. Did you see the articles about the solar-powered bike path in, I think it was like Denmark or, or Sweden? I have not. Is it similar to the, the, the concept that was going around um, yes. the internet recently about solar-powered road prototypes? Yes, it, it's this glass surface with I love it. I'm powers just, underneath it. I'm just concerned about LED. breaking ability in a storm. Glass. And they have some LEDs and stuff in it, so it can project uh, lane markers or or, you know messages on the road itself. I'll give you that bold prediction as well. I do think we're going to illuminate road surfaces in the future. If you drive at night a lot, you know it's well past due. Headlights don't do jack. Uh, I think it's time to put some um, some light emitting, uh, either w- whether we go diodes or whether we go some type of organic material or phosphorescent material, it's time to light up our roadways. Yeah. So um, the next category, I guess, is flooding. Um, we have some issues here in Florida with flooding. I, I've been through five different hurricanes. I know in Pensacola, we had this water treatment plant near the the water, and um, we had well, I, Ivan was really big for Pensacola. Right. Uh, we had this huge wave of water hit it, and it flooded like downtown Pensacola with also some sewage because the water treatment plant got damaged, and you know sewage and water all through the downtown but you know Tampa here when it rains heavy you can't drive down some parts of bush or hillsborough because you got three to six to a foot of water well this this really goes to a larger conversation though because right now i think the worst place for flooding is it's got to be texas right we just had a major loss of life out there but here's here's sort of the problem with with this and this goes back to our global warming conversation as well we knew and we know right now that there will be flooding in the southern United States, right? Because it's an El Nino year. And El Nino, NOAA is telling us, the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, they're telling us that El Nino is statistically sure to persist throughout the fall. That means Florida, Texas, Louisiana, all of these states, we're going to get more rainwater. California is even going to be marginally uh, helped out with their drought, not not cured. But marginally helped out, it's a little bit too late for them. El Nino developed too late for them to get too much benefit. But we knew this rainwater was coming. We know it's aggravated by global warming. And what do we do about it? Nothing. nothing. And people die. People literally die because we do nothing and pretend that our infrastructure problems and climate change don't exist. Yeah. Uh, the, the next thing's on here, though, to, to completely change my tone, ports roads transit i don't think we need to talk about those because wastewater and all of that we you know waste well, wastewater is probably one of the better managed things in most states well i mean i i've been in um you know a number of major cities with 
with mass transit, like really good mass transit. I mean, mainly in Florida, we have buses. Um, I think a lot of the issues with, with subways and underground trains and stuff is the fact that we're so close to sea level that underground tunnels will flood. Well, right, but we don't need to put it underground. Right. Um, but we don't have a lot of a lot of streetcars or, or elevated trains or any of that in a lot of the cities I've been in in we, Florida. I, you know, I don't think we have any of it except for a trolley here and there. Exactly. It is um, car uh, and bus, and nobody in Florida rides a bus unless you have to. You mean when you can't take your car? Or, or rent no, 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 no. What happens? What happens? And I assume it's this way everywhere else is, uh, as well, except for a few denser urban areas. Even in Florida, let's say you're in Tampa or Orlando, and there's there's a busing system that's decent, and your car breaks down, you call someone else with a car. Yeah. You don't take uh, a bus in Florida unless you absolutely have to, based on economic need or dire urgency. Yeah. I mean, students get get bus passes. I remember, well, in D.C., you know. They have the beltway with this interstate system kind of right around the capital area. But so many people would go and park at, at these stations and then take the subway or, you know, bus terminal into the downtown area because of the parking situations. Um, you know, when we were in Atlanta, they have the, is it the MARTA? Right, yeah, I think Atlanta is MARTA. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the bigger metropolitan areas have these really good mass transit systems. I mean, how often is the New York subway system used? Like, <laughs> yeah, in a day. Very uh, frequently. But see, this goes back to the infrastructure thing. How can they shut that down for maintenance? Hey, we're going to close down this red line, you know, for a month because we're going to put a new one in. It, I think we have to take a look at, at infrastructure the same way education is starting to look at itself, and that is multimodal. Right? It's not enough to say, well, we can get people around by doing X, Y, or Z. We have to do X, Y, and Z. We have to have automobiles, light rail, high-speed rail, new innovative things like the Hyperloop. Um, I'm not a big proponent of the Hyperloop, but listen, if they make it work, I'm going to go out there with my pom-poms and cheerlead it. Anything that works to get us above and beyond where we are now. And, uh, yeah, I mean, when, when we have the option of car and bus and truck, and those are all on the same exact roadways. Don't expect to get anywhere quickly. Well, I mean, have you been out of the country? Not in a while, no. So I'll say no because it's been a while. Well, in Europe, you know, a lot of people might like might fly into, you know, Frankfurt in Germany or might fly into Spain and they'll take a train all over Europe. There's, you know, they don't have a need for a car. You know, you can pretty much take a train from anywhere you need to go to anywhere else you need to go for a lot of Europe. And a lot of that is... Um, and it's roughly the same, you know, a lot of it's the same size. I won't know. say that it's subsidized, but it's at a, what we in the U.S. would consider a subsidized cost. Because if you're thinking about getting on a train in Tampa and going out to, um, let's say you're going out to Houston, or maybe you want to go further and go out to Vegas, you're going to spend between 500 and $1,000 on that ticket. Whereas in Europe, if I understand correctly, that may be, you know, 20 or 100 euro, right? Well, and the other difference is um, if, if you've looked, I, I've, I've known people who, like I go to con- some bigger conventions like Gen Con. There are people from the uh, West Coast that I've met out there that don't like to fly. There's quite a few people that don't like to fly. 
and they don't want to drive, and so they'll take a train. And then they're completely okay with a two-day trip. Right. You know, but how much of us, how many of us have that mentality where you don't want to travel for two days? I would, I would actually take a train. hours and then do whatever you want to do. The difficulty I've had with that part of the infrastructure, and I've looked at this over the past couple of trips that I've made, I, ha- I have seriously considered a train for a variety of reasons. One of them is novelty, but there are other better reasons as well. Okay, and, Sheldon. Well, <laughs> big bang reference, but the... The real reason I had for not going with a train was because by the time you took uh, an account of driving, flying, and rail, rail was by far the most expensive. The slowest and the most expensive. Well, it wasn't always slower than driving depending on where you were going, but it was always the most expensive, by right. sometimes by a, a, at least a doubling. I considered a train too, and I looked at the cost, and I was shocked. And so then I drove. Yeah. So let's um let's start moving to some type of a conclusion here. We have a couple of good resources we've talked about, and we know the general issue. But let's keep let let's end on an upbeat uh, side. What is the future of infrastructure in this country, and how do we get to a place that things are uh, not needing to be complained about as much? Well. We have had issues, and people have complained in the past about unemployment here. You know, when was the last time our country undertook a huge, major set of building and infrastructure-type goals that created jobs and really fed into the economy? It's probably, what, like Roosevelt back in the New Deal? Yeah, and, and boy... How- Tennessee Valley Authority? Like... <laughs> What did we build? <laughs> if you ever get to go to the Smoky Mountains or the Appalachians and you get to see the result of the Tennessee Valley work, it is still to this day a monument of infrastructure. And I'm and and it doesn't have to be, you know, people are concerned okay, certain pop parts of the population are concerned about entitlement. This has nothing to do with entitlement. We Absolutely all nothing roads. to do with entitlement. We all and need the this. Infrastructure. Let's make some jobs to go out there and do this. Let's you know It'll help our economy with the jobs. It'll help our economy with better infrastructure. Things will get there faster, better, cheaper, uh, more reliably. We'll save lives. We'll change lives. For anyone out there who's thinking, yeah, but it's going to cost so much. Imagine Imagine what things would cost if you didn't have the trucks and cars and trains that we do have to get you products from Amazon and Walmart and Sears and wherever else you shop or don't shop, depending on your preferences. If we didn't have that infrastructure, how much would goods and services cost? And now think about if we ramp that infrastructure up, what can we do with those prices? We can lower those prices, but here's the great thing. We can lower those prices without mitigating jobs down to the lowest common denominator, without going more and more low-wage jobs. We could fuel construction jobs that are above, well above minimum wage. Uh, we've done projects like this before. This truly is a win-win, and, and I wish we could stress to everybody just how much, uh, if they don't believe that infrastructure is an investment, uh, I wish we could put them back through a finance class because that would be finance 101. Uh, the difference between an expense and an, and a, an investment, and uh, boy, 
Um, unfortunately, too many people cannot see infrastructure as the investment that it is. Well, it's a similar argument with businesses and IT. A lot of um, older business people think IT is just an expense that doesn't bring their company any benefit. That's um, laughable on this day. You know, I mean, I know they're that no, there. I agree with you. I know they're there. It's just right. even hearing it this day and age, it's oh my goodness, haven't those people retired? It is laughable to hear somebody say have that. Dominated their field because they invested absolutely in IT and turned it around. So our company, our country, is falling behind. Well, with, let, let's see. The entertainment industry didn't do that for themselves. So Apple is a uh, very well-off company these days for for doing that for them. Google's trying to do it with the Google Fiber to try. You know, overseas they have what hundred gigabit. Connections? Yeah, Google just announced today or yesterday that they want to bring the balloon-style communication to the United States as well. Oh, uh, the Project Loon? Yeah, the, Project Loon. Networking. That tells you how bad our infrastructure is when Google says, hey, that stuff we're going to do in developing nations because they can't afford it, uh, let's go ahead and do that in the world's largest economy too. That is a sad state of well, affairs. Uh, the cellular uh, speeds and capabilities and the Internet capabilities in, like, Japan – Germany, you know, uh, South Korea, South Korea, Singapore, they blow us away. Like, <laughs> and it's just so surprising. And we're not investing to get caught up. We're, we're getting passed by and we're going to continue to get passed by if we don't do something. So here's what I want. I want everybody who's listening to find a way to join this conversation to find a way to do something about this situation. If you're great with uh, public networking, talk to your representatives, talk to your local municipalities, get things moving, create new forms of infrastructure, technological or otherwise. Really just put yourself in this conversation. That's my challenge to everyone. Uh, we're definitely doing that here. Chris, thank you for joining me today. Uh, boy, I hope we get to talk about this again at some point in the future, but uh, we just seem to be out of time now. So, so Chris, I, I appreciate it so much. Always a pleasure. never want to leave you feeling lost, confused, or less optimistic than when you came to me. So I'm going to take a short version of this time with you, our closing segment, to paint a mental picture for you of what the future looks like and what it doesn't. There won't be some type of dystopian future where robot zombie alien things place all of humanity into slavery. At the same time, 
Some mid-20th century image that many of us have in our heads won't happen either. I know this because I've read history, and I know that such a glorious past is utter bullshit and never happened. It was full of racial segregation, worker exploitation, political corruption, and the same types of problems that we deal with today. This idea of a perfect time in the past comes from one's own youthful ignorance of the surrounding world. That's a natural byproduct of having been a child. It's okay, we all share it. But our shared future is full of amazing things. Take energy for example. Our future of energy is full of alternative energies becoming standard energies. Solar and wind, solar and wind, solar and wind. Sure, there's hydro, geothermal, tidal, and other energy sources that could replace petroleum, coal, and even natural gas. But what we're going to see so much that it becomes absolutely commonplace is solar and wind, along with some tidal and hydrogen sources to support them. Of course, along with hydrogen will remain some type of process dedicated to its industrial production. Currently, that falls to the pursuit of petroleum or natural gas increasingly, but new sources and new methods can be created. Our widespread suburbia that we've created in the United States, especially in the southeast, will begin to contract into a denser but well-planned, structured, and maintained urban landscape which will allow for more pedestrian transport, as well as intra-city light rail systems such as our existing metros, and even the long-fabled endless transit systems. Now, these endless transit systems currently have two modern variants. First, we can think of the omni-movers or the people-movers of Walt Disney fame. The second, you could think of self-driving pods that are used in global destinations. These are vehicles such as the T5 pods at Heathrow Airport or the upcoming Lutz Pathfinder self-driving pods that will be going around commercial districts in London. I know, London's getting all of the love here for some reason. I'm not exactly sure why, but maybe they can share that wealth with the rest of us in the world. The thing to note here is that even if we're talking about uh, some type of self-driving automated system like the T5 pod at Heathrow, they have a published average waiting time of just 10 seconds per rider. That is quite impressive. I believe we'll begin to continue developing vertically as this urban consolidation happens, prompted by the payoffs of economics, environment, and efficiency that can be gained by bringing people together. Close, cramped, or congested. Not on my watch and not in our shared future. We're at an amazing point in time where our new challenges are technological and therefore largely abstract. We can now work within our previous advancements in art, engineering, architecture, landscaping, manufacturing, agriculture, and so many other fields to build cities that previous generations wouldn't have thought possible in hundreds of years. Cities even beyond science fiction. From farm to table can consolidate from what may now be a hundred mile trip or more to just a quick trip up or down a few flights of stairs. We possess this ability. The only thing that is lacking is the vision in most cases. That's where we come in. All of us at Multi New Media hope that we can inspire you from week to week. And if you ever get stuck, lost, or just don't know where to turn next in your quest to apply a vision to your work, 
we're only an episode or an email away. We'd love to see your comments on this episode's page at multinewmedia.com or you can send emails to feedback at multinewmedia.com. We're still working on setting up our phone solutions and evaluating some more interactive community features, but we're ready for the challenge of the future, and it's our sincerest hope that we can help prepare you for the future, your future, our shared future, together. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Multinew Media. The music in this episode is licensed from Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com under Creative Commons 3.0. For specific details and text attributions, see the blog post for this episode on multinewmedia.com. Multinew Media is an incubation venture of RCR Business Ventures LLC, and this episode is copyright 2015. For media inquiries, email media.relations at rcr.biz. Until next time, take care.